episode of Documento. I'm speaking with Garrett Daly. Um, Garrett, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. I figured we could start this conversation off with Ion Media and your blog in general. Could you give us an introduction and how you got into this? Yeah, so um, Master Self, as of June 20th, actually just celebrated its two-year anniversary. So two years ago, I was living in a motel in the middle of nowhere in Colorado between uh, Pueblo and Colorado Springs. I just moved there with a buddy of mine that I was doing a business with, and uh, I didn't have anything to do. We just lived in this, like, motel. There was nothing, you know, so I uh, hit up a buddy of mine from college, and he had mentioned he was trying to do, like, a, he's, a like, a state champion power lifter, and I was thinking about writing more philosophy stuff, but we decided to go start a website, and for a while, we didn't do anything with it. Uh, we had a team of, like, I had 10 people at the peak of it, and we didn't get any hits. We barely anyone did anything. It was terrible, right? So eventually, all the team left, uh, and then it was just me. And I have the guy, he runs, uh, the powerlifting guy runs the server side of things, but he doesn't write anymore. Uh, and then it really started picking up, you know. We started getting some traffic and uh, getting some traction. And I did that uh, now for, well, I guess until I Media started, that would have been like about a year and a half. Um, and then basically in the process of doing master self, uh, originally it was, I, I just marketed through Facebook and Facebook changed their algorithms to deprioritize business pages. So from there we went to Reddit, uh, Reddit though, is not a good place for blogs. Uh, it's just very hit or miss. Uh, some, also the, the culture on Reddit is toxic because people are, they're jerks a lot of the time. They'll just, uh. So let's just be like, why are you posting this here? We don't care about your blog or stuff. Let's just, just rude people. Uh, and then in, at some point I ended up on Twitter and, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't big into Twitter. Uh, you know, I, I really don't care for politics very much. And I unfollowed all the political people and kind of inadvertently found like Naval and, um, mimetic value, Andrew Ruiz or some of the people that I followed early on, um, uh mimetic value q's gone he we've done podcasts with him he's a good guy but he, he just really posts anymore um and then i found this small group of dudes which at the time was uh james p dowling um jordan castles who's not on twitter anymore um stephen fox uh logo Centri uh logo which is uh, chance lunsford um and just a, a handful of other dudes that we were all kind of on the same page about being interested in philosophical stuff, making intellectual content, making a difference in the world, self-improvement. And we started the first version of Ion Media in towards the very end of October last year. So the idea was that we have all these different people, right? Originally, I was just going to do a graphic design company called Ion Media. So I already had the logo and everything. I was just, you know, just all right. Um, so we started a podcast we started well we started a handful of podcasts actually we started doing youtube content we wrote a book we uh we started planning a convention which we're still working on now and teams changed quite a bit since then uh it's almost all different people except for myself but now we have me benjamin george um ryan Feldman, who's you may know as pat the manliness 
uh, flyover country, uh, harmonic tension or thud. Um, who else? We got a bunch of people. Chief Chuck, um, Ian Kuzma. I think I'm forgetting someone. Uh, we have like 10 people now. Uh, we do YouTube production. Uh, we, you know, you, uh, videos, podcasts. Uh, the main thing I, I have moved to working on now is live videos. So we live stream all our podcasts. We do, uh, an email list where we have a different person write an email every single day. I think we're the only people on Twitter that do that. Um, that way it's far less boring. Like I couldn't write a good email every day if I tried, you know, um, tough, yeah. it's not possible. So that's about where we're at. That's kind of the brief story. Very cool. Can we give uh, listeners kind of idea of the content of ion media? You had a recent post on symbolism and the architecture of the mind. Could you walk us through that? Yeah, so uh, the overarching, I, I guess the overarching theme of Ion Media and most of what I try to do, Ion Media's tagline is nourishment for the human spirit. Um, my, the Master Self site's tagline is save the world, master yourself. It's like an injunction, like, hey, you want to save the world, go master yourself, you know, not not the other way around, because a lot right. of people get really focus on like, oh, I'm going to go save the world. It's like, okay, right. man get to work first you know <laughs> right right um, so the the post about symbolism that was originally going to be a twitter thread uh that I, I came up with when i was going for a run this week uh but i didn't feel like doing it because i i did so i just moved to north carolina it's super hot so i only run at night now and i was like mm, i'm not hitting this at 10 o'clock right. <laughs> so um basically we st start out uh, and i kind of go through uh there's uh one of the two really deep branches of philosophy is uh, epistemology. You have metaphysics and epistemology, which is like, how does the world work? And how do I know about how the world works? Like, how, does, how do I learn and know things? And how does the mind work and all of that? Uh, but it, I, the, what I get into at the first part of the article is more hardcore epistemology than normally what I get into. Uh, I try really hard. Like, I don't think people appreciate it. I try really hard to make the site not like uh, just a slog to read because so much philosophy especially epistemology but metaphysics a lot of that stuff is really really just not pleasant to read you know it's so dry and technical so i tried to make it as fun as i could we go through um just kind of the way the different parts of your brain work how you process sensory information concepts and you we tend to do stuff um where the brain basically perceives all the sensory information as one stream of stuff right so if um i'm in this room right now we're having a conversation i'm focused on the content of the conversation but i'm also uh if there's ambient noise in this room that's getting processed at the same time the feeling of this chair that i'm sitting in <coughs> oh excuse me um any kind of weird smells that are going on, all of that tastes, if I, you know, like if I, like say I went out drinking last night and I didn't brush my teeth, then I would, that would be part of it too. All of this is getting processed together. And so you get some weird stuff happen like this. Like if you have a, a perfect first date, you know, and it's really romantic. And the only thing that was weird is that you like, there were too many onions in your spaghetti or something like that, you know? And then what, because all the other stuff is good, your brain will like romanticize the taste of onions. 
you know, so you get weird stuff like that because we process it all together. There's one of the things I talk about in the article where um, if you're trying to remember something, you know, everyone's always like, oh, remind me when we get home to blah, blah, blah. And you never remember that kind of stuff, right? So the one of the things you can do that's pretty cool is whenever you have to remember something, uh, think of all of the different things that are going to be going on whenever you have to remember the thing, right? So Sam at work, right? I can think, oh, when I get home, I need to update the podcast information or something like that, right? So I'm going to think, well, how's it going to feel when I'm sitting in this chair, sitting at my desk? What am I going to be hearing? What am I going to be smelling? What am I going to be tasting, if that's part of it? But just imagine exactly what it's like to sit here and just, okay, I'm going to remember it right then. So when you get here, your brain is going to provide all of that information just by being in the room, right? And you, mm-hmm. just, put a little, you just put a little trigger that says, hey, I'm going to think about that thing, and it works every single time, right? So there's a lot of cool stuff like that that people just neglect because they don't know about how thinking works or how the brain works. And so you kind of have to go through the the more complex stuff like that to get to symbolism, right? Because you have ideas, like pure ideas are, are like sensory data and you have concepts that are like kind of an imprint of that, you know? So if I if I walk in the woods and I see a tree, then to my brain, that's not a tree yet. Say I've never seen a tree in my life, right? That's not a tree yet. That's just a thing that I'm observing, right? But then the brain processes it and creates a mental idea of that. And that's a concept from a percept. Percepts are things you observe. Concepts are things that you internalize, right? And from that concept, then I go and see a hundred different trees, right? Now, the concept tree is like an average of all the trees. It's, it's, but it's not really a real tree. There's no tree in the world that looks exactly like the one I'm imagining, right? Mm. And that becomes the symbol for all trees, really. And I mean, you could break it down, and I, I do in the article about different kinds of like, oh, is it a, is it a tree that gets rid of its leaves in the winter, or is it a tree that stays green all year, or you can split it all up as an oak or a willow or whatever. But that's kind of how your brain works, and that's where symbols come from. We have concepts, and concepts are symbol- symbolic of real-world stuff. And so what the main focus for that is like religions use symbols as these tools to represent their philosophy or their ideology or how a belief system, right? So one of the bigger examples that I get into is like you have a cross and the cross represents all of Christianity in one very, very small, tiny symbol, right? And then you have like other ones, you have the Star of David, uh, that represents all of Judaism very, very simply. But in reality, the, you know, the, the two triangles of the Star of David are just the two lines of the cross or the uh, many, many other religious symbols have meanings that are separate from the religion too, right? Like the Star of David actually is the, uh, it's the union of the masculine and the feminine. Like in alchemy, an upward-facing triangle is a masculine triangle, a downward-facing triangle is a feminine triangle right um the cross itself literally represents like it's a super low resolution picture but it's where the horizon meets the sky right it's it's the intersection of the vertical and the horizontal which it like is the intersection of heaven and earth effectively um and the other thing there's there's another christian symbol that people are 
familiar with, but they don't know the meaning of. There's, you know, the, the Jesus fish that people have on their cars, mm-hmm. right? What that actually is from is it's called the vesica piscis or the bladder of a fish, which is why it's a fish. But it's two circles. It's like a Venn diagram, right? Mm. And every, everyone knows what a Venn diagram looks like. But that originally, before it was ever a, a graph, it was the intersection of heaven and earth, right? So you have so many layers to these different things in reality, in your mind, in uh, culture. And they use these symbols to manipulate the way that you see things. I mean, not necessarily maliciously, you know, I mean, everything manipulates your thoughts in one way or another, you know, but that kind of is uh, what I get into in the article and just exploring how symbolisms can, can be these like really effective means of moving thoughts around, whether for good or for bad. This is so interesting, Garrett. Um, what I really appreciate, and I think listeners will too, is you're able to distill these abstractions into practical tips and philosophy, and that might appeal to the masses more and, and bring it more into a, a common daily discussion. Right now we're on a podcast and we can discuss this intellectually, but if we can bring this into a bar, into a cafe, amongst friends, having some wine, whatever, um, I think we're making progress. Because, you know, Ion Media and you and the whole crew, you guys are creating more awareness for other realities. And I think if people are more aware of other realities, they can do more, they can experience more. Would you agree? A hundred percent. Yeah, most definitely. Um, one of the problems that I, 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 I don't like most philosophers. Um, I think philosophy as a discipline has for a really long, at least the last couple hundred years, been this really dry academic thing that doesn't do anything useful you know like people people have gotten so far away from what they did in ancient greece you know uh plato had this thing i don't necessarily agree with this but this is a better rule than they have now in philosophy plato's thing was you weren't allowed to come to plato's uh academy and learn until you were 30 and you knew how to wrestle (laughs) like And they were, it's not like wrestling in America. They were, they were hardcore. They yeah. Were just like, <laughs> right. they were, they were like biting and kicking people and gouging eyes and stuff. So they were hardcore, you know? So you, we've gotten so far into this philosophy. It, there, I mean, there's a concept called the mind-body dichotomy, which is like um, Descartes said, I think therefore I am, which is like, okay, no, you forgot about your, your body exists too, whether you think about it or not. There's these two things and you have to master both of them. But we as a culture are so divided into one or the other. And we forget what it's like to live in the world. And look, you look around, people are sick, people are unhealthy. People don't have any kind of like physical knowledge of the body, but they, they're philosophers and they have all this intellectual knowledge that is completely impractical. Their philosophies don't work in reality. They don't, that sometimes they don't even have anything to do with reality. There are people that just talk about ideas all day and that's it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I mean, that's cool, man. If you want to do it, go for it. But that's not a way to live your life. And that's what it should be about. Philosophy should be something that is fundamentally useful. And yeah, I mean, like, okay, some of the, the stuff that I talked about in the first half of that is really abstract. And it might take 10 articles for me to explain why that's useful. But some of the other stuff is directly useful when you, you know, like think about like, 
the argument I like to make is if you could think 10% better at the end of the year and at the end of every year, you thought 10% better, right? Well, that's like compound interest on your brain. Right. Imagine right. how much easier your life will be 10 years from now if you got 10% on 10% stacking, you know, just by improving your thoughts, becoming more aware of yourself, applying that to your, your physicality. You know, if you could say, well, what if I could train 10% better, right? Mm -hmm. What if I could train 10% harder? And you kept adding those numbers up and people forget that that all starts with not just the mind, but the mind as it applies to stuff, to watch what you're doing, to question what you're doing and to improve your methods continually, you know? And we all think, uh, oh, I'm going to go to school for four years and I'm going to learn this thing and I'm never going to learn anything again. It's like, no, if you're doing it right, it's not school. School's just extra knowledge. It should be the process of analyzing yourself that's the real learning that you're doing all the time, you know? Right. Education shouldn't stop just in school. I mean, you should be doing it every year for the rest of your life because then you can experience, like you said, that compound interest, whether it be intellectually or physically, they're all really the same thing. And the good thing I see is that social media, especially something like Twitter, helps you cut the learning curve because you're communicating with people on the same wavelength. You know, they can share ideas of things that you never thought about and create these incredible groups like Ion Media to promote in a way that's practical and, and down to earth. Yeah, definitely. I want to ask you um, a separate question. It's all also related, obviously, but what are some of the philosophers that have stood out to you in your research and, and what are some insights for them that you've always found fascinating? Ooh, so uh, I'll clarify that there's a, there's a big difference between philosophers that I like and philosophers that I endorse. So, okay. um, <laughs> I think the best example that anyone ever did as far as philosophy goes is Socrates because Socrates' entire approach was just to want to know things. Everyone else had ideas about philosophy. He just wanted to know and he wanted to pursue the truth and he was willing to apply that to his life in such a way that it mattered, right? Like at, um, famously at the end of Socrates' life, he was uh, put on trial for... Um, corrupting the youth by making him question authority and stuff which is pretty metal if you ask me uh but he's uh he's like goes and they convict him and he's basically says well okay i know me i'm probably going to keep doing this and i could go to another town but i'm probably going to keep doing it again right i'm not going to stop so the only thing that that we could do is is you're gonna have to kill me because you're not gonna have <laughs> a choice <laughs> and that's the thing and he, he accepted the consequences and he didn't deny the kind of person that he was and i mean i think he also has a quote like philosophy is learning how to die or practice for dying it's like i don't really like that so much but i can i can accept that you whatever you believed in you were about it you know you were about it so from him you get um plato and aristotle plato is pretty cool Aristotle was awesome. Um, Aristotle was like the first real scientist. Like he did like all kinds of natural science and he was out like learning about bugs and learning about the world and just curious, like he had the curiosity of a child. Um, another really great one that I uh, love. This is one that I do not think you should be like, but damn, this dude is awesome. Uh, Diogenes, who, um, Diogenes, He's probably the most hardcore philosopher that ever lived. Uh, he lived in a big barrel in the streets. Uh, he didn't shower or anything. 
he would just walk around town like roasting people basically but he was like a genius he was like a freakish genius you know uh so one time alexander the great comes to town and he's heard about diogenes because he's just a crazy person you know and he uh he comes up and says uh if i uh if i could be anyone in the world other than me i would be you <laughs> and diogenes is like oh that's cool if i could be anyone in the world i would be me <laughs> <laughs> and so alexander the great is like all right well I have all this power and wealth and whatever. I can give you anything in the world that you want. And he's like, okay, cool, man. You're standing in the sun. Move out of the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember hearing about Diogenes growing up. What, what a what a character. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the the balls on that man? Like, oh, yeah. no, but I, you could talk about your alpha red pill shit. But that's like, imagine if you had like, I don't know, like a warlord, like the most powerful man in the world comes up to you. And he could just execute you in public if he wanted to. You, know, you could do whatever he wanted. You're just like, get the fuck out of the way. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so, so it's a couple people like that. Then you get more modern. And then people are very hit or miss because everyone was trying to do different stuff. Uh, when I was younger, I got into Rand a lot. And if uh, some, some people who are into philosophy will be annoyed by that. Uh, she very, was also very hit or miss. Uh, but I liked her aesthetic. I think she painted a very, very uh, noble picture of what human life is about and the idea that life isn't just this miserable thing. Um, that was that was significant for me. Uh, obviously, you know, like I like a lot of religious figures as well. Um, Christ as well, not just gospel Christ, but also like the Gnostic Gospels, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Nag Hammurabi or whatever. Uh, I have that book somewhere. I can't remember. Nag Hammadi. Uh, scrolls um stuff like that uh buddha buddhism i like a lot of the vedic scriptures uh the the um i'm blanking there's there's a whole i mean that's i, I read a lot of comparative religious stuff comparative mythology um nietzsche is pretty i have i have a lot of complaints about nietzsche but i like him uh at least because he was he was bold in his thought um um joseph campbell um there's a lot of people man i i read i read very broadly rather than uh, i'm not like a, a specialist in philosophy i don't actually read that much philosophy because if those guys were right then you know i wouldn't have work to do exactly yeah the thing is they're already written in the past so you're working with things that were already created and you, you're forced to create your own ideas based off that right so that's kind of the fun of it you have to practice philosophy Oh, 100%. Well, yeah, that's also one of the things that I, because um, never, you find occasionally people who have a specific philosopher that they think was right. Because that was me when I was in like high school. I was like, oh, oh Rand's right about everything. And then I was a giant, I was, I was a very unpleasant person in high school for potentially related reasons. Uh, but if the thing that I realized is A, if there was someone that was right, then why is everyone miserable? right and that's kind of what you have to accept is like okay well and then people will be like oh but nietzsche said this and nietzsche said that's like okay nietzsche like went insane because he saw someone beating a horse like mm -hmm. he, i don't care how right he was because he'd write about all kinds of stuff don't get me wrong but like if he knew how to live his life that's not how his life would have ended he just went nuts you know mm -hmm. he and stuff like that there's a lot of other examples like oh if you know 
if Marx was right, then maybe 300 years of Marxism would have gotten us somewhere. And it mm. doesn't seem like it has, you know? So that's kind of an unpleasant thought though, is okay, what if no one's right? What if, what if we haven't figured yeah. it out yet? And what really, if wrong? yeah, that's terrifying. Cause then you're in the, you're in the realm of the unknown, right? Mm -hmm. You have to deal with the possibility that, well, now I'm responsible for every decision that I make because if in the future, if I become influential or if I, uh, other people listen to me, then I have to bear the responsibility for the possibility that I'm steering them wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, that's a lot to deal with. That's something I think about a lot. Uh, that's, I mean, just, re but really like the, one of the core things in philosophy that I emphasize is just pure personal responsibility on an extreme level. You know, the, uh, every interaction you have with people, you're, you're affecting their worldview in one way or another. And a lot of the times people don't usually see you as a person, right? Um, it, it, it takes a pretty advanced person to be able to actually meet you on your own terms. So most of the time you're, uh, you end up as a figure for them to project their own stuff on, whether that's insecurities or preconceptions or predispositions or uh, if, if you meet like an ideologue, for example, whether it's, uh, you know, if it's a far right person, they're going to project that if you disagree with them, you're automatically uh, like a communist or something. Right. And you see this all the time, or if you're a far left person and you disagree, well, then obviously you're, you're a capitalist pig and you want to exploit workers or some nonsense like that. And you're the patriarchy or something. Right. And you just get, and I've, one of the, the only rule that we have at Ion Media is no politics for, for this reason, because mm -hmm. I'd rather stay neutral. I'd rather stay out of that fray and save the people we can. Because when you, when people are projecting, you're, at, you're not going to be seen and you're not going to reach them. So to avoid, it's kind of like, um, it's like Tai Chi or something. You're just kind of like blocking the punches and moving right. through and you're trying to just get past. And then you have that one person's like, here's something for you. We're going to back up now, you know? Yeah. No, it's fascinating because a lot of these discussions are so different from the way they were conducted in the past where, you know, let's say ancient Greece where people were always debating and philosophizing, negotiating. Today we live in an outrage culture and it's very difficult to uh, entertain an idea that goes against what we've been accepting all our lives because we've been conditioned to believe something for so many years. And like you said, I mean, it depends on the interaction itself. There's so many factors that get in the way. I mean, the timing, the location, how you feel, how they feel. But if you do bring in one idea, it could influence them in some way, right? Like it make like small changes over time. And then you could influence them as you develop trust and they start seeing a different perspective. And that probably is the value of Ion Media, right? To make these micro, uh, changes adjustments to people's mindset uh, to hopefully improve the way they live yeah and a, a lot of that starts with um i was just telling uh one of our group chats this last night is that we have to be the example you know it's it's on us to uh, when you think about how people perceive you it's not just what you say and that's the, the philosopher's dilemma people would love it to just if i could just say the right stuff all the time mm -hmm. and everything worked out because people knew what I meant and it was enough to just say, well, ah, this is how I feel. It's like, okay, cool. That yeah. would be nice. That would certainly be nice. But in reality, it's not just what you say, it's how you act. So I don't care if you were the most perfect enlightened sage in the world, 
if, if somebody in the internet gets mad at you, gets you mad and you, you write rude comments back, well, you've, you've failed, you know, yeah. you've, you have to have the emotional mastery to go along with that. And you can convey that too. So, uh, when there are debates or, uh, issues where we get into these fights with people online if you are the person that at the end of the debate maybe it wasn't a perfect debate you didn't win all your points but you're the one that stayed calm and you're the one that stayed cordial and polite and you really looked like you wanted to teach someone people notice that stuff but not all the time and you know you shouldn't bank on anyone really appreciating what you're doing but people do notice that sort of stuff. And I think that makes a big impact because then you become known as the people that, oh, well, they're, they are better. They're above the fray. They want civil discourse. They aspire to be more than just the kind of people that argue with people online or, or and I mean, that's not, that's a very specific example, but when you're putting your work into practice and you're being the kind of person that is genuinely pursuing the truth, then I think, I think there's a lot of things you could do in the world, like seek outrage or seek controversy. You know, there's the saying, all publicity is good publicity, which is true in a sense, if you want publicity, right? Mm. But you can go the slow road and you can do the right thing. And over time, it, it, it will definitely take longer, but you'll be known as the person that did it right. And you didn't take the many, many easy outs that you presented constantly. You know, for, um, we, we wrote the book, uh, The Five Pillars of the Ascendant Mind, which is like somewhere in the vicinity of 250 pages, right? As an ebook. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with a lot of Twitter ebooks, but they tend to be 30 pages. I don't know. I think Ed Lattimore's ebook is like 37 pages and it's $37 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was one of the things that we did, we talked about at length. We had this discussion is like, well, we could make a cheap ebook and just push it for tons of money and that's fine. But that's, that works once, right? That works maybe once or twice. I want, I want something that's going to be valuable 10 years from now. You know, I want to make the kind of stuff that is worthwhile forever and that it's you know evergreen content is what they call that online uh, to, to make stuff that's valuable and to show that we put effort into it. I even went, when, uh, when we formatted the book, I went and learned how you do, um, they call it front matter and back matter, but you have all those weird pages at the beginning of the book with like different spacing and different fonts and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I learned how to do all of that. I even <laughs> put the page numbers on the other side of the page. It's just like little stuff like that, attention to detail, you know? Right. I, I want everything that we make to represent the fact that we're committed to quality, we're committed to doing better, being better than, than what is accepted in society. I think a good segue would be to close this interview with how to find you online. Yeah, most definitely. So uh, my website, masterthyself.com, it is called Master Self, but Russians own that URL and I haven't been able to get it yet. Uh, it'd also probably be inconvenient if I did get it by now, but uh, we are on Twitter, master self is on twitter at master self blog uh on instagram at master underscore thyself not master dot thyself i'm gonna send them a cease and desist because they stole my trademark oh um 
then I'll, I, we're on a handful of other social medias like Facebook and stuff. Not really super worth following us on there. Um, we have IA Media is on Twitter at IA Media Co. All one word. Uh, we have the IA Media email list. You, sh- you can find a link to that on the IA Media Twitter and follow us there. Uh, you can find me at Libra, excuse me, Libra underscore Rex. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's it. Cool. Garrett, thank you so much for this interview. Yeah, most definitely. Thank you for having me. We'll keep in touch. Definitely.